0: Hi everyone, welcome to Borderless Sustainability, where we explore the diverse relationship between people, planet and profit, discover how language, geography and culture impact sustainability, and ultimately aim to create change through knowledge. My name is Elisa Rivera.
1: And my name is Miguel Fraga.
0: In today's episode, we will learn about Hawaii's natural energy initiatives by research student Sebastian Solar who received his bachelor's degree in Electrical and Mechanical Engineering Technology from the Rochester Institute of Technology. He currently is a graduate student enrolled at the University of Hawaii at Manoa's Renewable Energy and Island Sustainability Program. He also works as a research assistant at the Hawaii Natural Energy Institute. His research is focused on distributed energy resources. The two topics in particular he is working on are PV hosting, capacity analysis, and virtual power plant. Welcome, Sebastian. We are so very excited to learn more about your current research at the Hawaii Natural in- Energy Institute. Um, I know Miguel and I have previously had one or two conversations in person and then virtually through ESW. So it's, it's nice to finally get you on our podcast.
2: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy to be here. I'm, I'm an avid listener of, of your podcast, and I, I'm glad to uh, share some of my knowledge
0: great. Um, So just, you know, something that we typically ask our guests is, what made you start becoming more environmentally conscious?
2: Yes, I I think about that a lot, actually, when I try to think about how can I get other people (laughs) to be more environmentally conscious. Um, I think there is an element of just growing up on the island of Oahu in Hawaii, um, just being surrounded by natural beauty it's, it's kind of hard to see the intrinsic it's hard not to see the intrinsic value um, in our ecological systems um, but I, I think that what really got me hooked was uh, a speech that was given to me during my uh, while I was in high school about international humanitarianism and Kind of put climate change into like a humanitarian context and just connecting the dots between uh, global warming and carbon emissions and electrical systems. And so in addition to just being uh, an issue that I feel very close to my heart, it's, it's also a very interesting problem to solve as an engineer.
1: Wow, that's, that's, that's wonderful to hear about that. Um, and and I think a lot, not a lot of people can say that they grew up in Hawaii and in that region. So that's, that's wonderful to learn. But Hawaii, we've learned, we did some research, Elisa and I, about uh, all the clean energy and the initiatives that they have right now. And they're getting a good path for that, especially because of all the resources that they're over there. But can you tell us more about um, what the Hawaii Clean Energy Initiative is or what what do you know about it? How,
2: how is that relates to your work? Uh, for sure. So throughout this, you know, this process of trying to decarbonize our electrical systems, there's been a number of different um, policy actions and collaborations that have been made. So In 2008, the US Department of Energy and the Hawaii State Government and a bunch of their departments kind of came together to agree upon a direction that we needed to transition to a clean energy economy. Um, And so from my understanding of, of the initiative, it's this collaborative effort to strategize, develop, and ultimately deploy clean technologies, as well as do the kind of climate education and, and outreach portion.
1: And what type of um, energy, clean energy, do you see right now that's getting popularity in Hawaii? Like it's more solar, wind farms, like what type of initiatives um, are trying to be um, taken advantage or use in that region?
2: Yeah, so because... Um, our, our islands are so small, we don't have the luxury of having this huge grid system that can depend on neighbors for energy. We don't have a lot of land that we can use for, for energy use. So um, a lot of our energy comes from burning petroleum, like oil power plants. And so a lot of the focus has been around, how can we make energy efficiency better? How can buildings improve on their consumption of electricity? There has been a a large push for residential solar. Um, So we're seeing a lot more rooftop solar, some uh, utility scale solar, a couple wind farms, but whenever we have wind farms or geothermal, it's, it's pushing up against another land use. Uh, it's pushing up against mm-hmm. residential communities. Um, and so it's, it's a kind of a, a very sophisticated issue.
0: I see. So um, I know that you're currently working or your research is in distributed energy resources. Can you probably share a little bit more about what that means and how it works?
2: Right, so distributed energy resources or DER can describe really a a pretty broad variety of energy system assets. Um, So what I'm looking at through my work is rooftop solar and customer-cited battery energy storage systems. Uh, But DER could be anything from smart appliances like a grid interactive electric water heater or a smart air conditioning unit or even like electric vehicles, Um, there's vehicle to grid or, you know, um, what we consider loads, uh, which is um, assets that draw energy from the grid. If that can be controlled to lessen the stress on our electrical grid or provide any other kind of service, this is considered like an asset or a resource. And so how can we improve our our technology to better manage those those assets.
0: Okay, and with DR, are, are you where are the source? Where is the source of your research? So, what facilities are you looking at, or is it just the general concepts that you're trying to analyze and do further research on?
2: Yeah, so with uh, the PV hosting capacity, um, it's, it's really just this developmental, how do we conduct this certain type of analysis to have greater insight into um, how much solar panels can we put on a particular distribution system? Um, however, with the virtual power plant research that I, I also do, We have on Maui uh, a set of equipment that include batteries and PV and a load where we can run some demonstrations of different algorithms that optimize the value of those PV panels, those batteries to help customers make that cost benefit decision of, oh, not only am I saving on my bill, but maybe I could even be earning some revenue from the utility for turning off my lights as a very simple example, but perhaps my battery could be absorbing power from the energy when there's too much solar on the network, or maybe it could be helping put energy back into the grid when the demand is very high in the early evening.
1: And a very good point that you brought that the demand and because I say that because right here in El Paso it's a conversation that's ongoing right now because mm-hmm. um they're building a new a new plan to for, to meet the demand for 2023 here in El Paso Texas because uh, according to the current infrastructure that we have here in El Paso Texas it wouldn't um it cannot meet the demand for 2023 so that peak demand special in July. And I'm assuming over there in the summer season, you also have your peak because of the tourists, um, the summer season, and you may have tourists and of course also the, the all of the residents. How does the DER or how do you guys plan for the peak demand? I mean, are is this is this can be this, can this be implemented in that? Because I'm thinking like it's not only about only building infrastructure, but also trying to reduce that demand, right? <laughs> trying to convince the residents to use less energy or be more economical or efficient with some other um, products. So that, that's something I was thinking the other, the other day, right? That probably the, the problem is not that there's a lot of, that we don't have enough infrastructure, probably is that we have a lot of demand. So how do you see that um, over there with the infrastructure or or the peak demand? Is it being planned appropriately? How do you are integrating DERs? I know probably it's a lot of questions at once, right? (laughs) I'm sorry. But but yeah, what are your thoughts
2: on that? Yeah, so in Hawaii, well, there's something that you see that's called the duck curve um, on the mainland where there's a lot of solar energy being produced in the midday Um, And then when the sun sets, and you don't have that solar energy, and then everyone comes home, uh, their demand for that electricity goes up. And so just going from this very low consumption um, to this very high consumption is very costly for the utility to manage. Um, And in Hawaii, we don't call it a a duck curve, we call it a a Nessie curve, like uh, the Loch Ness Monster, because of how big that (laughs) ramp is. Um, And so one of the solutions um, is because the cost of electricity is so high in Hawaii, anything that can mitigate um, those costs will become pretty economically viable. So, at-home battery energies storage systems um, have become very economically viable in Hawaii, kind of ahead of the rest of the continental U- United States. Um, and so, because of that, we've been able to experiment uh, with solar plus storage in what is called load shifting, right? And so, we can either store a lot of that free PV in the middle of the day and offset what would be our evening demand, and so lowering that peak. Um, Or we can do a type of energy arbitrage, which is basically buy up the energy whenever it's cheap from the grid, such as in the middle of the night when no one's using it, um, or again in the middle of the day, uh, and then just using that energy again But then that energy can be stored in at home battery energy systems or even in water heaters as heat energy um, or possibly in the battery of your electric vehicle. So there's a lot of different options of about storing energy, shifting it to somewhere else or even just helping mitigate the stress that that ramp has on the grid has an economic value to it and can help. Uh, everyday people participate in that energy system uh, in a more democratic way. And that's something very interesting to talk about the batteries,
1: because I don't know about you, Elisa, but I recently, uh, well, not recently, well, yeah, recently, this year, um, I learned how important is the battery storage when you pair up with solar panels. Like, I I know it's intuitive. I I knew that solar panels don't work without batteries, right? But Um, there's a big push right now on investing more on batteries rather than the solar panels because the technology for solar panels to be more efficient is lower compared to the batteries having higher capacity, whether they're solid state or um, other type of state. So I don't know, Yulisa, I recently learned that. So um, it's very good to hear from that, Sebastian, that um, batteries is also being considered that and, and the capacity and the different ways to store to store that. It, it, it just blew my mind. It's, it's kind of those, like, duh moments <laughs> when someone tells you that, oh, yeah, I need to invest in batteries more. Like, well, it made sense, but now it makes more sense in my life.
2: <laughs> yeah, batteries are incredibly game-changing, um, and we're, we're lucky that the what's what's called like the learning curve is the, is how they're progressively becoming cheaper and cheaper like solar panels have been doing and continue to do. So they're following a similar curve of becoming ever more affordable and kind of the cost of not buying them is becoming more and more expensive.
1: Yeah, I saw this statistic that I think since the sixties, I think, or this over the seventies, the cost of solar powers and the batteries Of course, it was very new at that time, but has decreased 400 times uh, as of right now, all of that. So it's like exponentially decreasing the price, making it more accessible for for everyone. So I think it's a very good thing, make it cheaper, cheaper. That way it's more accessible for for the rest of us.
0: Definitely. Yeah, it's something that I want to invest in in my future as well. And with that, uh, Sebastian, what are some other climate change initiatives that you've seen throughout the island of Hawaii? (laughs)
2: Yeah, well, Hawaii being uh, an island community, um, it faces a lot of vulnerability from various climate impacts. Um, Sea level rise imposes a huge risk to our coastal communities. Ocean acidification threatens the the coral reef and marine ecosystems and, and also any kind of Uh, economic uh, like food security and tourism activities that relate to the ocean and increased frequency of powerful hurricanes, Um, not to mention the drought and wildfire that we're seeing all over the planet. Um, And so each of those problems kind of have their own response locally uh, through state government, through nonprofits and, and just through local community action. Um, And so it's it's been a very exciting time trying to network with these different groups and and seeing how we can share resources and share ideas and approaches. Um, Because Hawaii is very uh, multicultural in the sense that we have uh, the military community here, we have the local community here, we have the indigenous community here. We have the tourists, we have all sorts of different kinds of people who have different priorities, but at the end of the day, we want, you know, a livable island community that is beautiful and is is nourishing to all of the inhabitants. So finding those common causes and and acting upon them um, has been a very exciting space to explore.
1: And... I don't know if this is gonna be a dumb question, but
2: <laughs> I've seen videos
1: as well um, of lava over there through the volcano eruptions. Is that something, an issue that occurs that, I, I know it's not a regular basis, but is that direct related to climate change in some sense? So that's just a natural occurrence that happens
2: throughout the island or how, to, how does that work? Yeah, so the, the big island of Hawaii, the island of Hawaii itself, um is located on a hot spot so it's kind of like this hole in in the earth's crust and so we have regular volcanic activity on that island so the island i'm on oahu doesn't have any volcanic activity um, and in one sense that's there's an opportunity to do geothermal active uh, geothermal power plants. Uh, next to the volcano. I know that Iceland does something similar with their volcanoes. Um, however, we need to be sensitive to kind of the, the cultural uh, significance of the volcano to native Hawaiians. Um, and then just the management of those <laughs> systems needed to be done in a sustainable way. Um, but yeah, I, I think the, the volcano doesn't cause too many problems um, the communities that, that live there would be more familiar with where the lava flows are and where <laughs> to, to avoid. Um, but usually it, it, doesn't cause any problems other than there'll be like a, a, a vog season or just like a, an expulsion of a lot of, uh, ash. And, and so we'll get some ashy days, but yeah, not, not too much of a problem and
1: as you mentioned the cultural significance of the volcanoes and 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 that you may know you know right that sustainability is not only about the environment but also the social aspect of projects and and everything related to initiatives like this um so how has the community responded to all this climate change clean energy initiatives uh what are what is what do you think it's their thoughts on that like you you mentioned the 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 significance of volcanoes I'm, I'm i'm unfamiliar with what what's the significance of volcanoes volcanoes um, to communities in hawaii um, i don't know if you can talk a little bit about that since you you are there you can tell us a little more of uh, insights of what's this how does the community respond and how is that I, I know they're very um they like the roots and their ancestry so i think that's a very admirable stuff to to Learn from them, right? How they have this deep connections with, their, even with their own families, and I think that's just beautiful. But and that they have that relationship as well with nature. So I don't know if you can tell us a little more about how does the community feel about this because it's such a new technology. Some of these things that might be very um, confusing. Like for me, some of them are confusing, and especially we have a long line of tradition. I don't know how that work.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean to be honest, I. Even though I I grew up on O'ahu my whole life, um, each island is quite different from the other. And even on each island, each community is is quite unique. Um, So all all I can say is that the response has been mixed. Um, I think ultimately it's because Hawaii is still pretty fresh from being colonized by, the United States and by other, you know, Western societies, um, and so there, there definitely needs to be, in addition to techno- technological solutions and political solutions, like how do we make solar panels affordable, or how do we make the surveying of where to site wind turbines. Uh, sensitive to community feedback, right? Because development over indigenous land has a really bad track record. Um, And, but but we need it, right? Like the alternative is to continue to rely on fossil fuels, um, which ultimately will ruin the oceans, will ruin public health. And so how do we transition to those cleaner technologies in a way that we're not uh, disproportionately burdening marginalized communities um, and, and really being respectful to uh, the, almost the, the, the yeah, just, just being responsible and respectful of the values of those communities that live there
0: thinking about the, the people that are coming into Hawaii, like like you said, they're, they're extremely diverse and some not ever have even visited are going to stay and live there. So it's like there has to be kind of like a common ground where, um, or just like an understanding of like, okay, as you're coming in, here's like a list of things that you should start practicing. Here's a list of things that you should know. Um, this is kind of like the traditional way of how we take care of our island, right? Like um that's something that i feel from what you're saying is is something that needs to be implemented soon if if it hasn't been already and how how can the people who already live there and have lived there their entire lives how can they start advocating for that like being a voice um in other words in in that community i don't know if you sebastian have any maybe like thoughts some, something, a community that comes to mind that is already, you know, with those types of initiatives or something that you're personally working on that you can share with us? Um, so I don't know, we could start here, you know, spreading that word <laughs> if we ever go to Hawaii.
2: <laughs> um. Yeah, and, and so as an engineer, I feel I always don't quite have the right amount of rhetoric or perspective to really give the appropriate amount of credence to these like sophisticated social issues. Um, mm-hmm. and so I'm, I'm always trying to to learn about that and how to, you know, play my role as a technical professional in the best way I can. Um, I I've had the great opportunity of, of working with a couple, um, communities through engineers for sustainable world and, and through some of my other research um, more surrounding like ecological management and how to work with the community and their management plan uh for taking care of their natural resources um and i, I would say Heia uh state park has has been an amazing um collection of different organizations and individuals that have both um, revitalized a lot of really important cultural and sustainable food systems, um, in addition to giving a great opportunity for young people to educate themselves on the cultural and ecological value of, of working with the land. Um, and it's also Five minutes from my house <laughs> um, but um yeah no it's 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 such an important intersection of many many disciplines um and it requires the the input of many many voices uh in a constructive compassionate manner uh to really distill what are the sustainable solutions right right. And going back to the to the community, because it, it keeps
1: going oh, oh, in my head, like it's spinning on my head over the rooftop solar. Um, is that a lot of community a lot of community residents have that like since they're lo- looking at all this ecological management that you're talking about and then seeing I'm, I'm assuming they're seeing all the benefits of having this going in this road towards a cleaner and greener future in the island have you seen more community members go towards rooftop or is are, are they still doing that and how is your research like very helping them understand that I don't know if I'm having I'm being clear with my question but um, I think it's just so cool having that like I, how you say that intersection seeing that specific intersection in an island that sustainability aspect of ecological management and then rooftop solar like had that technological I, I'm picturing myself I don't know about you Lisa but I think Hawaii and I just think like palms beach like super fresh super nice and I'm just looking at this beautiful houses that are super like into the wild but they have like rooftop solar and this just seems seems like an amazing picture in my mind but um, is that a common thing there that you see that integration or how is that working
2: Um, Especially during the era of net energy metering, which was essentially when you could export your locally produced solar energy back to the grid and get credit for it. Um, There was a huge surge of new rooftop solar. Mm. Um, And actually, it, it almost seemed at the time that Hawaii as a state and our progress towards our renewable portfolio goal of 100% um, by 2045, uh, was being led by individuals and not so much by the utility. Um, And and of course, that that took a big blow when net energy metering programs around the world pretty much stopped all at once. um, Because for precisely the reasons why I'm doing my research is that Stochastic variable renewable energy is causing all sorts of problems on on the grid because we we don't have enough monitoring and control systems. It's totally within our capabilities to to make our grid smarter and more capable of managing these renewable uh, resources, but it's a it's a matter of actually doing it. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, right now, I would say that the owning a solar panel on your roof has just so many obstacles for for entry like you have to own a home which already in Hawaii is incredibly difficult to do Ooh. um why because of the prices or lack of land or is are there a lot of multifamily buildings or why there's a lot of multifamily buildings, but yes, it's, it's just the the price of land and, and foreign investors buying up property and raising uh, the value of, of houses. Um, like, I, I don't know the the exact specifics, but in, in my neighborhood to own a house that's maybe for a family of four or five is between, I would say, 900 thousand to like 1.2 million, like just for like a four person home, right? California prices. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's pretty standard here in Hawaii where it's just like, it's, it's just astronomical costs um, to own a house. So I, I, I think last time I looked at the, at the, like the data, um, nearly half of all Hawaii residents are renters um, and then of the people who aren't renters, um, there's maybe 10 to 15 percent that are like vacation homes or they're like semi-permanently vacated. <laughs> wow. Um, so that means like 60 plus percent of all residents in Hawaii don't even have the authority to make the decision to put solar on their roof because they don't own the property or the house or anything. Um, And so solutions such as like community solar, where the community can all kind of benefit from one larger solar farm is one solution. Or in the future, if virtual power plants become more viable, then you could maybe benefit from surplus solar that your neighbor is producing on their roof and maybe you you can just benefit from their roof space. Um, So there's a lot of creative solutions. Oh, one was like this pay, pay while you save plan, which was essentially like a bank or the utility will buy the solar panel and all of its equipment, put it on your roof, and then take some portion of your savings. So let's say you save 40 bucks a month they'll take 30 bucks. So you still save 10 bucks, but the utility got a return on their investment and slowly the the utility or the bank or whoever gets their money back. And then once that's done, you inherit ownership of that solar system, right? But you didn't have to deal with this huge upfront cost of installing the equipment.
1: And for how long is that?
2: I mean, I don't know if you know, like, is that like a 20 year loan or... (laughs) It could be 10 years. It could be 20 years. Um, But I think the problem is just uh, in one sense, there's not enough uh, regulatory framework around Hmm. distributed energy resources. So people are kind of like afraid to create various programs that manage those resources because the policy might change next month and, and make something not economically viable or, um, or illegal. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I, I think we just need more creativity and development on the side of policymakers, decision makers, uh, in the economic sphere, in the power systems management sphere. So, But there's a, there's a lot of solutions to, to meet people where they're at so that they can access clean and importantly, affordable energy.
0: Well, I'm glad that you're working on making the grid smarter that's step one <laughs> and um, hopefully I'm not sure if are you looking to maybe stay and buy a house there or that's not in your plans for the future
2: uh me along with m- most of my my friends who grew up in Hawaii with me um live with our parents <laughs> or we've banded together to um to like rent out some small apartment but I think there also needs to just be this shift in cultural philosophy that living alone, away from family is some sign of independence. I think building that sense of community, starting with your family is is part of getting into that mindset of responsibility to others and really yeah. banding together to to be effective in our work at the end of the day. It's it's part of that sustainability element.
0: Definitely. I mean, I agree. I mean, that could be because I am living here at my parents' <laughs> right now. But, um, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I see how that can tie into, into, like, the relationship, especially on an island like Hawaii, right? So <laughs> with those costs, Ooh. but um, one of the last questions that we like to ask is, um, is if you have any sustainability-related book recommendations that you'd like to share with our listeners.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm honestly one of those people who buy really good books and then turn out to be too busy to read any of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I have I some amazing here. books <laughs> that are just waiting for me. But some books that I have gotten to that I have made the time for because they're really just that incredible um, is All We Can Save, um, which is like an anthology edited by Ayana Elizabeth Johnson and Catherine K. Wilkinson. Um, And essentially, it's, it's all about climate feminism and how we just have such a more intelligent way of approaching climate solutions by just changing our philosophy and changing how we organize ourselves in a way that's more in line with, um, climate feminist philosophy, I guess is it's just, it's an incredible, incredible concept. Um, and I, I fully subscribe to it. I, I fully, uh, support it in all of its manifestations. Um, And then a second book that I really like is Thinking Like an Island, uh, Navigating a Sustainable Future in Hawaii. Uh, This is edited by Jennifer Chirico and Gregory S. Farley. And this is more about sustainable food systems, but it kind of talks about different facets of sustainability. But when we think about island communities, really, we're thinking about Microgrids. We're thinking about how can we build resiliency? How can we leverage our diversity um, to better mitigate these ecological and social issues? And so I think there's something to, to be learned from looking at island communities.
0: Great. Well, thank you so much, Sebastian, for taking the time to talk to Miguel and I and our listeners today. Um, it's definitely very insightful to learn about what's going on in Hawaii. And um, if you ever visit, you know, kind of be aware of where you're going and respectful to it as well. Um, but yeah, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking to you.
2: Yeah, no, it's, it's been such a pleasure sharing. Uh, I know it can get a little maybe dry with all the, the talk about power systems, but really the, the possibilities are endless and, and that's what keeps me going.